Howdy! Before we begin today, we just want to say thank you again to everyone who started listening to the show. We hope you'll go back, listen to the catalog, and send us ideas for more Texas topics you'd like to hear about. We'd like to highlight JSTRM79 from iTunes review they left. Five stars. You guys are great. I love the podcast. I found it about a year ago and have been listening from the beginning on my trips back and forth between Corpus and San Antonio. It's fantastic to listen to, and the kids love it. Not biased at all. I am glad it's presented by Texans, and you take every chance to incorporate other proud Texans along the way. I have learned so much more than I ever did in school with your program, and I look forward to going to work to listen to more. Well, we just want to say thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening, and we're glad that we taught you more than seventh grade Texas history. Aw, <laughs> see, there you go. All right. So if you love this show, be sure to go to iTunes and leave a review so we can find more listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please go to patreon.com slash texaspodcast. And without further ado, here's the show. I was thinking more that the the mad genius that found all those E.T. video games buried in the Arizona <laughs> desert, but, but that's probably a better example, Sean. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. The gift of the people of Cincinnati to the Texas revolutionaries, two identical cannon became famed twin sisters and played a critical role in the Battle of San Jacinto. How they got here and the mystery of their ultimate fate have become part of the Texas legend. This week, we take a look at the true story of the Twin Sisters Cannons. But first, who's your favorite Texas celebrity or historical figure with an animal-based nickname? Well, I'm going to go with uh, Lance Berkman, retired former baseball player for the Houston Astros, um, who goes by the nickname Big Puma. (laughs) Nice. Well, I just have to go with the man, Sam Houston who was known as the Raven. Well, I'm going to go back to an old favorite and say Jake the Snake Roberts. Oh, (laughs) wrestling. Can't go wrong with a nickname based on a snake. Yep. In June, we spent a lot of time recapping the History Channel's Texas Rising miniseries. And one of the central events that occurred during the third episode of this series was the Texas Rangers were sent by Sam Houston to accept the delivery of two cannon, which they named Hannah and Annabelle. Within a few minutes, they took the cannons off their wagons, and with no training at all, they fired at some advancing Mexican cavalrymen. The cannon would later play a major part in the Battle of San Jacinto. But, as we've learned from Texas Rising, what is the real story of these famous cannons? In 1835, the Texas Revolt began at the Battle of Gonzales. News quickly spread to the United States, and support for the rebels poured in from all quarters. Officially, the U.S. government declared neutrality, but within months, volunteers from all over the U.S. began traveling to Texas, including famous frontiersman and congressman David Crockett. In other cases, communities and cities donated money, supplies, and munitions to the Texan cause. In November 1835, the city of Cincinnati, Ohio, raised funds to acquire two cannon to send to Texas. With a nod to their official neutrality, they were officially raising money for, quote, hollow wear to provide to Texas. 
This hollowware consisted of two six-pounder cannons and was manufactured by the Greenwood and Webb's Eagle Ironworks Foundry. The cannon and their equipment, including carriages and ammunition, were shipped down the Ohio and Mississippi rivers to New Orleans, where William Bryan, an agent of the Republic of Texas, took possession of them on March 16, 1836. Bryan had them shipped to Galveston on the schooner Pennsylvania, though with neither limber nor ammunition for some reason. When they arrived in Galveston, they were unloaded from the ship and presented by Elizabeth and Eleanor Rice, the twin daughters of another passenger on the ship. As legend has it, someone in the crowd commented, quote, There are two sets of twins that had come off the ship. It took a few weeks for these cannons to make their way to the Texas Army, but they finally arrived at Grosch's Plantation on the Brazos River, where Houston's army was camped on April 11th. Initially, the guns were placed under the command of Colonel James Neal. You might remember Neal from our episode on William Barrett Travis. Neal was from Gonzales, and he'd manned Texas's other famous cannon, the come-and-take-it gun, at the start of the Revolution. He later commanded the garrison at the Alamo before he turned over command to Jim Bowie and William Travis when he needed to return home to take care of sick family members. Neal has the distinction of having fired all three of Texas's most famous cannons. Neal organized a company of 30 men to man the two guns, including future Texas Ranger legend Ben McCulloch, and he drilled them over the next few days. The sisters saw their first action on April 20th, the day before the Battle of San Jacinto, when they exchanged fire with Santa Ana's small battery of howitzers. Neal himself was wounded in the skirmish, and Houston assigned his own chief of staff, George Hockley, to command the unit. The next afternoon, as Houston's army prepared to attack, he ordered Hockley to position the cannon ahead of the infantry, around 200 yards from the Mexican line. As the infantry charged, the cannon boomed, close enough to target the brief attempts to form a coherent defensive line. The Texans were short on ammunition, so the guns were loaded with buckets of musket balls, horseshoes, and broken glass. I bet it still hurt. I'm sure it did. After the battle, the sisters remained with the Texan army and were eventually moved to the capital of the new nation. Over the next few years, on the anniversary of San Jacinto and for other state celebrations, such as Sam Houston's second inauguration, they would be carted out and fired in memory of their famous day. In 1845, when Texas was annexed by the United States, all of its military stores, including the Twin Sisters, were turned over to the federal government. The guns were transported to the Federal Arsenal in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where they remained for 15 years. They were largely forgotten, except by a handful of Texans. One of those Texans who remembered the sisters was Ben McCulloch. As the southern states, including Texas, headed towards secession in 1860, McCulloch wrote to Governor Houston arguing that Texas should be prepared if war broke out, and the guns should be on Texas soil. Houston contacted the U.S. Secretary of War and requested the guns be transferred home, but before anything could happen, Texas seceded and Houston lost his job because he wouldn't support the action. The secession committee requested that the state of Louisiana turn over the guns, which had recently been sold to a foundry for scrap metal. The state bought the guns back and sent them back to Texas, arriving on April 21, 1861. 25 years to the day after the Battle of San Jacinto. The sisters were used during the Battle of Galveston on January 1st, 1863, when Confederate troops recaptured Galveston from Union troops. Lieutenant Sidney Sherman Jr., the son of San Jacinto veteran Sidney Sherman, was killed manning the guns. After the battle, 
They next appeared later in 1863 at the Austin Arsenal, apparently in pretty poor condition. In 1864, the sisters were slated to be sent to the Rio Grande, where they were to help John S. Rip Ford recapture Brownsville. No evidence exists, though, that they were actually ever used again or even shipped out of or even shipped down there. From this point on, the fate of the sisters is rather uncertain. Now, there are some reports that they were dumped into Galveston Bay or shipped off to Washington, D.C., but the most commonly believed story is that a Confederate soldier and later doctor named Henry North Graves and several of his friends somehow acquired the guns and buried them in a field near Harrisburg, this now part of Houston. Graves lived until 1921, and though he's said to have taken other Confederate veterans to where he claimed to have buried the cannon, he never made an effort to recover them. Over the years, there have been various attempts to find the buried cannons, but they have never been found. Today, you can find several replicas and paired cannons, including at the San Jacinto Battlefield, as well as at the state capitol. But whatever happened to the real sisters will still remain a vibrant part of the legacy of Texas. Question boom. mark. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> so I think we we talked about doing this episode because... Uh, in watching the Texas Rising, of course, some things kind of stood out and were unusual and and uh, not exactly realistic. And so the twin sisters do show up and the, the Rangers are sent out to get them, as we said. That, but there's a little bit more to that story. We talked about this in our episode, but those cannon are on top of a wagon. And these, like what, seven Texas Rangers decide to just, yeah, these 600-pound cannon... They haul them off of the wagon, put them together with no training, load them and fire them at Mexican soldiers, or cavalrymen, actually. And yeah, all, in, all in a matter of minutes. All in a matter of minutes. And and so in reading, I just did some reading on like what, how big a six-pounder pound six pounder cannon, and it's, it's called a six-pounder because it fires a six-pound shot, how big that is. And, and, and then you find, I found more information about the actual twin sisters and that there's a mystery about their fate. And so that was what was really fascinating is that the real story is much more interesting. It took 30 men to man two cannon, two guns that are relatively small field pieces for the day. Right. Well, what I think is, is like, and we talked about this before is, is that, you know, you think about unloading 600 pounds of just dead weight off of a wagon is hard yeah. enough. But on top of that, like one of the big tricks to these cannons was the same thing we talked about with uh, the Walker Colts, these black powder pistols mm-hmm. that you have to put just the right amount of powder and no more because they will explode. Right. Uh, and and you'll be killed because you don't know what you're doing. And and I think there's probably a long line of history. There's a great coffee table book there somewhere of things I shouldn't have done that killed me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing was is that artillery was, was actually considered right underneath military engineering at the time as requiring the most highly educated people because it required a lot of mathematics to be an artilleryman of the day. Yeah. Now... Something else that we talked about was the fact that in the show, they refer to them as Hannah and Annabelle. Um, they give the canons first names. Um, in their research, that wasn't really something that's documented anywhere, that they gave them names. They only called them the twin sisters because there happened to be twin girls that were on the same boat. And beyond that, I don't think they ever really had any names. They were just nicknamed the twin sisters because right. of that coincidence. Right. 
Well, and and so, yeah, if they had in the show, if they'd call them Elizabeth and Eleanor, at least I could have, you know, I would have said, okay, I guess that's a stretch to make, but sure. But they just picked two names out of the hat and said, let's call them that. Yeah. A little bit of color for the television show. I guess so. But I do think it's cool that like many historical items and artifacts that they do have a nickname and it's based on something that actually happened and it wasn't Mm -hmm. some you know, they weren't named like Furioso or, you know, some something destructive and war sounding. It was like, right. hey, it's the twin sisters. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I call this one Cagney and I call this one Lacey. <laughs> <laughs> well, the inter- and then uh, then it was really interesting to find out that that they were used in the Civil War. They were not just kept around in a museum yeah. or something, but they were actually recovered and used again. Yeah, I I do think it's funny that it's like they were requesting to get their cannons back from the federal armory, uh-huh. you know, yeah, just in case, just in case just we, in, we go to war. Just in case we decide they, to secede. And, they, and that was actually something that they thought was going to happen at the time, which yeah. I thought was funny. Yeah, yeah. And we lost it's our It's like, you know, just in case we go to war with you, um, can we have our cannons back? <laughs> So there was a lot of interesting stories that I read and, and uh, uh, stories from like books like the old time, old time stories of Houston and stuff like that. And and people swear up and down that they saw these canon canon that were marked as the twin sisters or a gift of the people of Cincinnati in in parks in Austin and Houston uh, well into like the 1870s, even the 1880s. Uh, mm-hmm. And and actually people swear that. They they mistake. There's two cannon in front of the capital, the the state capital in Austin, uh, and people think those are the actual twin sisters, and they're not. They're just they're replica howitzers. Yeah. Well, we did a whole episode about like ghost stories of Texas, and we did a thing yeah. about legends and myths of Texas, and so this might. I don't know. Maybe there's ghost cannons roaming right. the plains of San Jacinto. Right, and unfortunately, uh, some people have done some research, and unfortunately, the area where it's believed the cannon were buried is now like a waste treatment uh, oh, facility. So the odds of finding those cannon are, are dwindling rapidly. Although they didn't think they'd find the come and take it cannon, they actually yeah. pretty much did. So I was thinking more that the the mad genius that found all those. E.T. video games buried in the Arizona <laughs> desert, but, but that's probably a better example, Sean. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, in terms of, of history, they're iconic canons, and they represent um, an important piece of Texas history in terms of, you know, it showed the support of the United States of the Texas cause, and there's something we kind of like to really idolize and, and remark about. Were they really an influential part of the battle and are they, you know, were they significant? Was, was two cannons really anything compared to what they were battling and dealing with historically? Yes. To both answers to both questions. Uh, the Santa Ana didn't have much in the way of artillery. He only had a small battery of howitzers himself. So the, the, when they had a duel, it was basically two cannons shooting at two cannon, but they were very well used. As we said, when the Mexican forces did try to rally their line to fight the Texans as they were attacking, mm-hmm. those cannon helped disrupt that 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 rallying. So they were used to good effect. And as Scott said, I'm sure getting shot at, uh, getting hit with pieces of broken glass flying at you at 600 miles an hour is not a lot of fun. Well, I, I more meant it too in terms of the fact that the come and take it 
cannon from Gonzalez. That cannon was basically used to start horse races. It was a spiked yeah, yeah. ornamental cannon, but these were were actually well-built military weapons. Yes. Yeah, they and were, were, and were yeah. used well. They were useful military weapons of, of the time, and they were used well, yes. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show. You know it. So tell your friends and tell them to leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out and find new listeners just like you. So join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.